Welcome to today's episode of Woman to Woman podcast series. Our guest today is Rekha Patricio. Rekha Patricio is a bilingual multicultural media and marketing executive. She's helped lead marketing and branding initiatives for well-known corporations and non-profit brands such as NPR, Discovery and 4H. Her efforts have won her many industry accolades including Adweek's Rising Brand Star of DC Award. Rekha has also worked as a journalist for NBC News Since Today's show, Dateline and NBC Nightly News, as well as CNN and Espanol and ABC News. She's a graduate of Brian Moore College with degree in political science and English. She's a wife and mother of four young children and believes in the importance of giving back and not forgetting who you are, no matter where you are in life. When she's not working or wrangling kids, Rekha loves to write, strike up a conversation with strangers, make ice cream and cook delicious meals for family and friends. Rekha, welcome and thanks for being here with us. Thank you, Divya. It's really a pleasure and an honor to be part of this podcast. Thank you for inviting me. You have a unique background. So let's start there. So if you can just talk a little bit about um, your growing up, where you were born, just the circumstances of how you got to U.S. Let's start there. Sure. Um, it is indeed a, un- a unique background. Um, and uh, I'm happy to share it with you. So I was actually born and raised in Venezuela and um, in a little town called Barquisimeto. And the reason why I was born there was because my parents moved there from Kerala, India many years ago. Um, And so my sister, my brother and I were born there. I'm the youngest of three. And um, we, you know, had an amazing childhood in Venezuela um, and loved every minute of it. We grew up speaking Spanish. So that was my first language. And my parents actually learned Spanish um, after moving to Venezuela. So they moved there when my mom was 24 and my dad was 34 and, uh, you know, left everything in Kerala, India to, you know, go live their life in Venezuela. So they were big risk takers, but I think their risk paid off. Um, So that's a little bit about, I guess, my childhood. And then, um, you know, we grew up speaking Spanish, English, and Malayalam as well, which is my parents' uh, first language. And um, then at some point, my dad, you know, with everything that was going politically uh, and then stability in Venezuela and Hugo Chavez and, you know, everything that was going on, uh, we decided that it was probably a better idea to go um, somewhere outside of Venezuela to invest in our education and you know have the security of having a brighter future for all of us. So at that point, we had learned a bit of English. Um, my dad worked for the oil industry in Venezuela, so he got transferred to Curacao, to an island in the Caribbean for a couple of years. And that was in sixth and seventh grade for me. And that's when I took ESL classes and um, was part of the International School of Curacao and really learned English there. Um, and then, We moved back to Venezuela for a couple of years. I was living in the border of Colombia and Venezuela for a little while, um, uh, studying in a missionary school there. And then um, we decided to make the move to the United States. And I lived in New Jersey, of all places. Um, I moved here with my brother, my sister, myself, and my parents actually stayed in Venezuela. Um, And so my brother and sister were going to Rutgers University and I was going to East Brunswick High School and I did two years of high school um, here and graduated from East Brunswick. 
proud EBHS grad. That's amazing though. So you come here in high school, um, you've had some English, not a lot. And then you also spoke a little bit about, you know, um, identity crisis and also self-discovery at that point. How was that like? Yeah, so, um, and you had interviewed Malakshi previously on the podcast, Malakshi Roy who is one of my awesome best friends. Um, and Malakshi was actually one of the people that I met in high school when I moved to East Brunswick. And it was a, you know, complete culture shock for me um, coming here. I think I had mentioned uh, when we talked earlier that my idea of U.S. high schools was saved by the bell. So I thought that everything was going to be colorful and beautiful. And, you know, I got to the high school. I'm like, what is this? This doesn't look like saved by the bell. And, um, and yeah, I mean, it was hard. We were living here by ourselves, like I said. And um, so our, our parents weren't around and it was, uh, you know, I was 16, my brother was 18, my sister was 20. And we, you know, divided up the chores. I was uh, the one that cooked. My brother did the laundry and my sister did the finances. And we had some amazing neighbors um, that became like family to us. And that's how we kind of survived and thrived in our teens and our late teens here. Um, But it definitely was a culture shock to come to the United States, I think, from an identity perspective as well, because as you can tell, I look Indian, but I felt, especially at that time, very much Venezuelan. And um, I spoke Spanish. And so when I came here to the US, all the Indian kids were like, oh, Reka, there's a new Indian girl. And I didn't feel like the new Indian girl. I felt like, you know, a Venezuelan that was coming into um, into the, the high school. And so that was my first experience meeting meeting other Indians of my age and um, and really becoming friends with them. But it was also a good time for self-discovery and and learning about this other culture that I had learned a bit about from my travels to India and meeting my family and, you know, um, going to the Indian embassy events in Venezuela, which which was sort of our our time to dress up in our Indian garb and 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 go out there. And, uh, you know, it was a lot of North Indians, which was a little bit different than uh, what we were, which is South Indian, but we still had amazing friendships there. And so that limited exposure is what I knew. Um, and then when I came to New Jersey, I was just hyper exposed to Indian culture and it was beautiful. It was fun. It was confusing. Um, I was also meeting a lot of Latinos um, here in the U.S. And that's another sort of culture that's a bit more complicated because there's not a one size fit all um, Hispanic person here in the United States. So coming from Venezuela, I thought, oh, you know, if I see another Velasquez or Vasquez or, you know, Rodriguez, I can just talk to them in Spanish and they'll answer me in Spanish and they'll be so happy. And, you know, not, Latino doesn't mean you speak Spanish necessarily. Um, and, and that's okay. And so I needed to learn those things um, coming here uh, and how diverse and multicultural the United States really was and how limited my experience of of it was. So that was, high school was a good time for learning that, but I had amazing friends, like I said, um, who really taught me the ropes. They accepted me for who they, for, for who I was. And I never experienced any of the sort of bullying or, you know, uh, any of those things that, that, that a lot of kids do experience. I was fortunate enough to be placed in in, in, a, in a school in an environment that was just very positive. So I'm grateful for that 
Um, but yeah, that was my experience coming into the United States for the first time. And actually one funny story that I'll say is my first day of school, I was actually given the wrong bus pass. So I was told to wait in the, in the corner where the middle school was waiting. And then the high schoolers were waiting in a different corner. So the bus actually came and picked up the high schoolers and left. And I thought that was the middle school bus. And then I waited and then the middle school bus came and I'm like, okay, I think this is the wrong bus. So I ended up walking on my first day of school ever in the United States for like, I think it was like four or five miles to my, um, to my school <laughs> um, so that I could actually like go to class. And I was like sweaty and it was an August day and it was not what you would want for your first day of, of school in a new country. But that was my experience. Yeah, I wasn't loving the United States that first day, but then it slowly, everything got better after that. <laughs> so you started um, college as a pre-med candidate, and then you you are a journalist by training. So how did that transition happen? Clearly, that wasn't in the plan. Something changed along the way. Yeah, so I'm actually, um, I'm a journalist and I'm a marketer as well. I do, um, I, I started out my career in journalism and then I pivoted into marketing, but you're right. I started, um, my, my, my first interest was medicine. And I think, you know, partly is being an Indian kid and, you know, that's always something that whether your parents are intending it or not, they put that little seed in your brain and they're like, Hey, what about a doctor? Um, so I, I did think about that. I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm good with other people and I thought that I would enjoy medicine and I was obviously getting some good grades. And, um, and so it, there wasn't a lot of thought that went into that. I was just like, I'm just going to do pre-med. I think I'm just going to do medicine and, and that's it. And so then when I went to Bryn Mawr, um, which is an all women's college in Pennsylvania, and it's a liberal arts school, and I start, you know, started taking some pre-med courses. I quickly realized that this just wasn't for me. I didn't want to be in the lab. I didn't want to do all the chemistry and you know physics and all this. Those science courses were just not for me. Um, and and what I was drawn to was my English courses, my writing, my um, political science courses, all those sort of things. So I decided to switch my majors from. Um, from pre-med after my first year to um, to political science and then uh, English minor and I took a lot of journalism courses as well when I was there I was um, when you're at Bryn Mawr you have the uh, fortune of being around other schools so you're able to take courses at Haverford, Swarthmore and then also UPenn so I took a couple of journalism courses and I actually took a Malayalam course as well um, in, in UPenn when I was there and I learned to read and write in Malayalam, which not a lot of people know about me, but I did at some point know how to do that. I, I'm out of practice, but <laughs> it shocked my parents when I told them that I was doing that. I'm sure they were very happy though. Every parent wants the kid to learn their you know native language, be able to speak. So I'm sure they would have been happy. Yes. No, I mean, that was definitely one of those things where I went into that course thinking that I was just going to learn to polish up my conversational Malayalam. And then, you know, I walked into the course and Dr. Kurchi was his, his name. He was like, okay, we're going to learn to read and write. And I'm like, ah, I don't think so. <laughs> and I was about to walk out of the class and he pulled me back in and 
sure enough, I mean, I look back on on um, my what I wrote, and I I can't believe that I was writing things in Malia. I mean, it was it was definitely one of those things that you don't think that you'll be able to do at all, and then someone pushes you in that direction, and you know, and and it's and it's awesome. It's awesome when you're, a, you're able to see something that you didn't think that you could do at all. So in earlier conversation, you'd also mentioned that you grew up watching CNN. Like news was always playing in the background and you know so you were very involved with what was going on in current affairs what was happening around you did you think that had anything to do with how you got interested into um, certain professions yeah absolutely I think you know growing up um, and moving around so much um, some things were constant right you know I was always fortunate enough to be with my family uh, with my mom and dad and my brother and sister and then um, my dad was a huge CNN fan. So he would have CNN, like a lot of Indian parents uh, would have a lot of CNN on in the background in the evenings. Um, he watched a lot of Larry King. And that was one of the shows that I ended up watching quite a bit with my dad and um, Barbara Walters too. I mean, a lot of interview shows. And I think those, you know, what I, what I, tended to gravitate more towards was the journalists, the people that were asking the questions, how they were asking the questions, how they were talking to people. Um, and, and so I think all of that sort of seeped into my brain and to my subconscious. And um, it, once it became time to decide, like, what do you really want to do? Um, you know, I had that in the back of my mind, like journalism is something that could be good for me, that um, I could be good at. And so that's sort of where um, where I decided to pivot once I was in college and started, you know, taking the journalism courses and realizing that I actually really like writing, I really like interviewing people, um, and so I did a couple of internships as well um, in in CNN and then ABC News Nightline uh, when I was in college, and then those internships helped to solidify like my my interest. I knew that after doing those that I really wanted to. Um, to pursue journalism. Um, and so, yeah, and so I did. But yeah, that was some of the, the earliest influences, definitely being around uh, my parents and watching the news and watching interviews. Um, I also, you know, and my parents were always very encouraging of that. Um, they're not the typical, um, you know, Indian parent, if you will, in terms of force, you know, saying, okay, you know, let's study this or let's study that. They were very much like, do what you want to do. Um, what is it that you're interested in with all of us? When my brother, my sister and I, they wanted to, you know, have us pursue our passion. And my dad is somebody that, you know, even from a very early age, we would go on vacations and we would have career conversations. And, you know, what is it that you like? What is it that you don't like? Um, you know, write down your goals, your dreams, all of that. He would always encourage us to think in that way. So when it came time to choosing a profession, I knew that I had their backing and that, you know, as long as it was something that made sense <laughs> a, a little bit, that, that I was okay to, you know, take a risk on something. You know, I did, a lot of my friends were doing economics majors and, um, and just things that, and medicine and, and law degrees and, you know, whatnot. And I was one of the only ones that was doing journalism. And so um, I, but I felt good about it. I felt like I was on the right path and, uh, 
And so I just continued to pursue it. But my parents were definitely supporters. Um, so once you had a degree, you knew what your passion was. Um, you had a few internships you had done in the right places. What was the next step? Yeah, so the next step was um, when it came time, I had done uh, an internship at ABC News, an internship at CNN in Espanol. So I knew, okay, there's the Spanish speaking news side that I could pursue. There's the, um, I, I really enjoyed my time at ABC News Nightline and um, I loved everybody that I met there and that form of journalism. Um, and so I applied to the News Associates program at NBC, which is essentially a um, competitive program that uh, takes about six journalists out of 2,000 and more that apply, and they rotate through different shows at NBC. So I started at the uh, at Nightly News, NBC Nightly News, and then I went to the Today Show, Dateline, and then I was back at NBC Nightly News, and I was hired there as a researcher. And, um, and it was just a wonderful experience. But the News Associates program was my entry into journalism in a big way, because you're suddenly you know, plopped into 30 Rockefeller. Um, and uh, at that time, it wasn't as well known, like 30 Rock wasn't a show yet. Um, and, and yeah, and then you were working with these journalists. I mean, I was, you know, in, in this room with Tom Broca, and we were talking about stories for that, you know, evening's nightly news. And I had to pinch myself many times because I just couldn't believe that I was there and that I was, you know, able to pitch stories that people could listen to me that they could you know take in my ideas that was interesting to them so it was really a wonderful time but I also think that I was really young and sometimes you are so young in those positions when you're suddenly plopped into something so amazing that you don't end up taking full advantage of the situation and I think Part of it for me was also, um, I, I was young and I was in New York and I was, you know, experiencing the world. And so, um, you know, looking back on it, it was just a lot of, you know, a lot of responsibility uh, to put on a young person. And, um, and, and, but it was an amazing responsibility and it, it was, it was just so much fun. It was one of the best times of my life. And the fact that I got to produce so many stories and go out and interview um, so many people and really contribute um, during a very, um, very trying time. It was during the Iraq war um, as well. And so I was doing a lot of overnight uh, work um, and, you know, staying in a hotel and then coming back um, and doing it all over again. I missed a lot of like Thanksgiving, some Christmas. I mean, I was working all kinds of hours, but it was doing something that I really loved. So that didn't matter as much. And, you know, when you're in your early twenties, you don't have a family, you don't have all the responsibilities. Um, so it's okay to, to, you know, give it all at that time. Clearly you didn't stay that path. You at some point decided you wanted to change and you also got into marketing. So how was that transition? And what do you think really helped you from what you were doing at that point at NBC? To moving into something that was a little bit different? Yeah, so that's actually a good question. I didn't um, necessarily make that choice myself. I was um, in the US, I started off on an F1 visa, and then I, I went, uh, when I was at NBC, 
I switched to an H-1B. And a, a lot of people that sort of immigrate to this country will be familiar with those terms, but essentially it's a student visa and then it's a work visa. And for the work visa, they had to sponsor me. So NBC had to essentially say, you know, we want to sponsor this person. And I worked um, on an H-1B for a while. And then um, they were also doing my green card. But at some point, um, they they weren't able to continue with the green card process. And it was one of those things where I knew what was going to happen and that I needed to sort of pivot very quickly to something else. So that's when I made the move into marketing. Um, and it was something that um, it was because someone was able to sponsor me in, in a marketing organization and I, it just made sense. And I had to do that in order to stay in this country. So I actually knew that this was maybe a step in a different direction that was not in the plan that I had crafted for myself, but I also trusted that I would be put back on course at some point. And that the important thing at that time was for me to be able to stay in this country. And particularly because there were so many, you know, there was so much political instability that was happening in Venezuela at the time. Um, it was also a time when my parents were moving from Venezuela to India. And so we stopped having family in Venezuela that I could, you know, go back to if I ever had to go back. So that thought was scary if I ever had to leave here and then go back to Venezuela to nobody there. Um, I didn't know if I would actually figure out what to do there. And so um, I worked really hard to try to, to try to stay in this country. And I was fortunate enough that someone was able to sponsor me in marketing. And, and then I realized that I really enjoyed it. Um, and so I continued in that path. So yeah, I started uh, my career in marketing, like I said, in a small um, agency. And then I moved to the, uh, Discovery Communications and worked for their in-house advertising agency. And then from there, I had the opportunity to become the director of marketing for NPR. And that was an amazing opportunity. Um, I was able to um, work alongside, it was a small team of creatives and um, in marketing strategies, a VP and our CMO, and really look at um, what are the various opportunities to promote the NPR brand, whether it is through podcasts, through promoting the shows itself, Morning Edition or All Things Considered, and then um, being able to um, also look into the diversity angle of, uh, of NPR. And I was put into a task force that was looking for ways of diversifying NPR audiences. And that was a really fun experience. My favorite part about working for NPR was working for the podcast. So um, one of the things that I enjoyed the most was just doing marketing plans for all of them because they were just so diverse. Uh, you have something like Code Switch or Alt Latino uh, or Morning Edition or, you know, just Invisibilia. They're all very different and you get to meet the host. You get to, you know, figure out what is the tone? What is this podcast, you know, trying to put out in the world? What is the main message? And then work with the creative team to come up with the, the logo of the show and the visual identity and then um, you know, figure out what is, what is the copy that's gonna go on uh, Apple or Spotify and what are people gonna read about it? You know? and, and I was able to help with all of that, um, whether it is I was writing it or I was helping others who were writing it, but being part of that creative process as you're thinking about putting out a show in the world 
um, was a really fascinating experience. Um, the other thing that we did there was also, you know, naming the shows. So they would come to us and say, hey, we have the show and it's about this and that. And we would sit with the creative team and um, and then just, you know, think about random names that would work. And it's not a random process at all. Um, it, it's actually a very thoughtful process, but it was just a, a really wonderful experience to be able to be part of all of that. One of the experiences that I had at NPR that I really enjoyed was working for a largest um, paid campaign that we did for NPR at the time. It was called Fully Awake, and it was a 360 campaign that was TV and um, digital ads as well. Um, and, you know, it was about bringing more audiences to Morning Edition and working with four pilot member stations. And that was something that I helped to lead. And I was really proud of uh, our work that we put together. And, um, and at some point during that time, I was also uh, recognized for uh, Rising Brand Star of DC, uh, which was an honor that Adweek um, gave me. And that was really wonderful. And, uh, and it was humbling and it was a fun experience. I got to bring some friends and family um, to, you know, when they were giving me the award and it was just a really wonderful time to uh, just be celebrated. So, I so congratulations. It. Yeah, it was, uh, it was unexpected, uh, but at the same time, you know, it's one of those things where sometimes these things happen and you, you accept them and, you, and just be happy for yourself, especially when you've worked really hard. Um, so that was, that was a really fun, uh, fun time, but I loved my job at NPR. It was also a tough job. It was, um, it was, you know, I had two kids at the time. And then when I was at NPR, I had a third child. So as a working mom, um, you know, it can be uh, a lot. And I was seeing that I needed to just find a little bit more work-life balance in my life. And so, um, at some point I decided to move on from NPR and um, and move to 4-H uh, where I work now. So um, sometimes you have to make those pivots and uh, and and get more experiences. And I think that was something that that was also part of my decision in moving on. Listening to you, I'm thinking, oh my God, we should get her input on our podcast. What we are doing, what we should be doing more. So we'll definitely connect on that. Love to help. I'm I'm, I'm not sure how much advice I can give you, but I you're doing an awesome job from what I see. Third time, I couldn't believe that when I was uh, when I was listening to you. So you're definitely inspiring me. Um, you actually brought up another great point. You know, you had a young family. You were really doing well at work, and you had a young family also to take care of. And then you kind of pivoted at that point and said, okay, what's really important? How can I balance both? There are a lot of women struggling with that. So what were some of the things that went into your head when you made this decision? And what were you looking um, in terms of work-life balance? Yeah, you know, I mean, that term gets thrown around quite a bit. And I don't think that you are really truly able to find the magical place that's going to give you all the work-life balance. I think what I've learned is that... Um, you know, when I go into certain jobs, I put in 110%. And what I've realized for myself, um, most recently, actually, is that what I need to do is be able to have my own creative outlet, uh, the, very much the same way that you're doing right now with your podcast is we all need a creative outlet so that we're able to, you know, go out, go into a work situation um, and, you know, give it our all, but also come home and know that we're about other things as well, not just this job that we have. 
And I have to admit, I wasn't very good at that at the beginning of my career, but I'm slowly getting better and better at it. And that's part of what I, I'm doing in my next phase is being able to like build in that creative outlet so that in the next uh, phase of my career, I'm able to just have a more balanced uh, outlook. But I think all moms struggle with, you know, and dads as well, all of us parents, um, you know, it's a very, it, it's a very hard thing to do to balance work life. This past year has been, you know, a tremendous challenge for a lot of people. But I think one thing that has always been true for myself, and my husband, who's very good at this as well, is being able to be self aware and uh, understand where we are in life and what's happening to us and what's happening to our mind and our bodies. And um, taking care of our mental health is so, so important. So whenever I've been in situations where I felt like, you know what, I need to move on from this because I love this situation, but I'm not feeling like I'm in a good place right now, mentally, physically. I think you know when you, are in flow and that everything is going well, you know that. But sometimes you get into situations and you know that things are off. And, you know, one thing that I've learned is that it's okay to move on from that. And that, you know, as long as you put out good energy in the world, to me at least, what's always happened is that good energy always comes back. You know, I'm always somebody that that is going through life with a lot of positivity, at least I try to. And um, in any situation that I go, I try to, you know, be kind to others, I try to lift others along the way. And all of that has, you know, putting out good karma has always helped me. So I have, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I have a spiritual background as well, you know, uh, religious. Uh, background that sort of guides me in my process too and I'm able to connect with that and everybody has their own thing and, and and their own process but this has always helped me is to reconnect with myself with my being and ask myself are you okay are you doing okay uh, what could be better are there things that you know you can do in your current job that um, you know certain modifications that you could do to make your life better and if you can't what is the next step and being able to like take a next step in whatever direction it is, um, is very important. Uh, you know, being able to move on, being able to ask people around you, your friends, your family for advice. Um, they're, they know you the best and um, they'll always have your back. So one person for myself is, you know, my husband who I think, you know, he actually knows me better than I know myself. <laughs> and I'm always like, oh, yeah, I feel like, I come to some sort of realization and it's something that he's told me like, you know, three years ago and I'm finally realizing it. So I feel like he's always a step ahead of me, but, but being able to like, listen to people that you trust, um, but also listening to yourself and your own gut, I think is important. It's a very long-winded answer to your work-life balance question, but I think it's achievable as long as you, um, you're listening to yourself and you're being good to yourself. Any mentors along the way or any major influences? Yeah, um, there were definitely very a lot of mentors. Um, he doesn't know this, but one of the people that really helped me very early on in my life here in the United States was somebody by the name of Dr. G, Dr. Gunthorpe. And he was um, somebody that I, when I was here in the United States um, early on, and I was not, 
you know, I wasn't really sure what to do with my college applications and my essays. He was a former school counselor and he was a friend of a neighbor of ours, Sandy, I'm in touch with him. And I connected with him and I used to go to his house and he was the one that sort of opened my eyes to liberal arts education to, you know, he helped me with my essay, essays for college. He was the first person to actually recognize that I was a good writer. Um, believe it or not, I had heard that from teachers, but he was, he was the first one to say, you know, you have a very unique point of view in the way that you write. And it's a very unique voice. And that always stayed with me, even though in my mind, I thought, oh, I'm going to do a pre-med. But when we were talking earlier about the pivot, um, his words always, you know, stayed in the back of my mind. Um, so I, um, he's definitely one of those people that, um, that really had an influence on me and really helped me in my career um, earlier on. Um, and then later on in life, I've had some amazing um, mentors along the way. Um, a lot of my previous managers have been wonderful mentors. I've been able to sit down with them and talk to them and go back to them for advice. Um, and that has been wonderful. A little bit of a, um, a strange mentor, but it's somebody that really helped me was uh, my immigration lawyer, believe it or not, Keshab. <laughs> and um, he's another person that I really, really relied on and help and just I seeked his help um, various times in my life when I felt like I didn't have somebody to turn to. He really helped to not only guide me in what I needed to do in terms of immigration, but also encourage me. So that's somebody that you know, I always am very, very grateful for because I think both of those people helped me, you know, move forward in a time when I was stuck. And I think that's what a mentor is. It's not the traditional definition of a mentor, but it's somebody that can get you out of a situation and really help move you forward. Any mistakes that um, you'd see routinely that we as women do and any other skills that you recommend that we develop? One of the things that women don't do enough is just being able to put ourselves out there and speak up and let our voices be heard. I think one of the things that I wish I had done earlier in my career was, you know, uh, that energy and that um, th that ability that to speak out and speak my mind when I was like, you know, 16, 17, 18, I wish I had been able to like bottle that and keep that going for the rest of my life. Um, because that was a time when I was really seeing the world, I was reacting to the world. And if we can stay in that zone, um, sometimes I think that that could be very beneficial. Um, so being able to really be confident and speak out and be, and, and be confident in your own opinion and in your own point of view. Um, one of my cousins, um, Liji, she um, has done so many things and created, you know, movies and just uh, has just done so many different things. And one day I asked her, you know, what, what is it that inspires you to do so many things? And she said to me, um, I'm the only person that can put this out in the world with this voice. And that's what motivates me. And, and, and to me, that was a wonderful answer because that shows that you have the respect, you know, you respect yourself enough to say, I am the only person that can put this out in the world with this voice. And so 
it is on me to put it out in the world so that I can leave it for my children so that others can listen to it. That has always stayed with me as a motivation. Um, you know, as I'm doing any, putting together a podcast or, you know, doing a book or, you know, doing whatever it is that you do, I think you have to think like, this is my voice. This is my point of view. And I should be proud of putting this out in this world. I shouldn't be hiding it. So that's something that I think more women should do. And I, that's definitely something that I want to do for myself as well. And the other advice I would say is, you know, I've encountered a lot of positivity among women and uh, certainly went to Bryn Mawr and have found, um, you know, a group of, of women that really lift, uplift me every day and inspire me every day. And I love being surrounded by other women, uh, my friends from all walks of life. Um, and But I think one thing that we can do sometimes is we don't lift up other women as much. And that's part of why I loved this podcast so much is because it was, you know, when, when you and I were talking about it and you said that it was something that you wanted to leave your daughters. Um, I also think the, the idea that you are not only the lessons that they're learning as, you know, as you're talking to all these different women, but also the fact that you are lifting up other women is so important. And I think we should all be doing more of that. It is, it is so needed. And I try to do that um, with everything that I do at work or in my personal life. Um, and I want to do more of it. So I think doing those things um, is something that I would leave as advice <laughs> to women. No, that's that's great. And thank you for the kind words. So any parting advice for our listeners? Yeah, I mean, I would say that. Uh, one of the things that I think we all need to think about is that there can be many versions of ourselves, right? We come into this world and I don't think we should be boxed in by the way that we are or how other people see us. And I think one piece of advice that I would give all women is to be able to explore, be in touch with your own feelings, be able to think about what else I can do to improve this world, give of myself, give of my point of view, um, all of that is very important so that you are constantly surprising yourself, you're constantly improving yourself, and thereby also improving the world around. But th this was so great, Rekha. Thank you for your time. And we really appreciate um, all the great advice. So thank you for your time. And thanks for being here on this podcast today with us. Absolutely, Divya. It was such an honor to be here. And uh, part of this conversation and contribute to it so and thank you for creating this platform for more women to speak out i really appreciate the time